Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? That sounded really, really lame. I'm not going to lie. How are you all doing? There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, um, yeah, we're, I'm Steve Hambrick and pastor here at Vintage. It's one of those things that it's always, it's always awesome to find people who come and are connect and then are ready to be sent out. And isn't that really what church is supposed to be about? It's supposed to be about coming together, the Lord moving in the context of community, context of whatever we're doing, and then sending us out for whatever it may, whether it's to India or whether it's to our next-door neighbors. And the idea then of, of, of really a church is this idea of mission and the idea of going and, and being Jesus to those that are in need. Now, last week we talked about, if you weren't here, we talked about uh, John chapter 2 and looked at the story of Jesus. And we looked at the story of Jesus uh, when he comes into the temple and he overturns the tables. I mean, a lot of you have read that story. And it's one of those stories we talked about that, that it was this baffling moment, specifically for his disciples, because as they walked in with him, Jesus basically just went ballistic, right? He came in like he had done for over 30 years into the temple. He comes in the moment. He gets angry. He gets frustrated in the moment. And he comes in. He does like this on the table. I mean, I just always wanted to do that. Go to a table and just throw it off like that just for the fun of it, you know? And so he comes in and does it, takes all the money, throws it on the table. He begins to sit. He's irate, right? He's angry. The people, the money changers are going, they're just livid. You got the chief priests over here who are yelling at him, right? He's, he unties all the animals. He releases them. That's crazy, right? And so what we said was that in the moment that Jesus intentionally was creating mass hysteria and mass confusion. You get the picture, right? There is mass hysteria and mass confusion going. People are screaming, and the disciples are looking back going, Oh, my gosh, what got into Jesus? What's wrong with him, right? They're just completely baffled. So all of a sudden, they just remembered that it was written in in Psalms, Zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. And they're sitting here in the moment and recognizing that something obviously is stirring in Jesus, something, this righteous anger, this righteous indignation, this righteous frustration has welled up inside of Jesus. And he's having to express it in the moment. We said last week what it was was this. He steps into his father's house and sees that it's been polluted. You see, what we said was that it was okay, I mean, uh, the, the law in the Old Testament, it was okay for them to come in and to, and to sell animals. It was okay for them to come in and, and change money because they were coming from a long distance. It was actually an aid to the pilgrims who were coming from a long distance to make sacrifices. So instead of dragging some oxen a long distance over mountains and hills, they could just save the money and purchase it there and make their sacrifice. But what had happened is from being, it moved from a place of purity to a place of pollution where the chief priests were seeing it more as a business venture of making money than it was of actually helping those that were in need. That instead of helping the children of God, they were actually coming and abusing them and taking advantage. And so in the moment, like, like a good parent will do when something is not right, they come in and they, and they shift things, they change things, they turn over the tables in, our, in life. And so what we said last week was that, that we now represent the temple of God. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God, you are not your own. 
And so what we said was this, and this is a little bit difficult. We had to wrestle through some of this, but, but that sometimes in our lives, God looks, does not like the pollution that he sees, and he comes and he overturns the table in our lives. And so, so often we, we have like, we say, well, God's not the author of confusion, but he was in this sense. And what I would say is we have to wrestle with the fact that many times when God looks at our lives, he sees our brokenness, he sees our sin, he sees our apathetic laziness and our indifference towards him. And out of his love for us, he comes and turns over these tables as pollution cannot be part of your life. And so he comes in his zeal. His single-minded devotion to us in relationship with us and says, I'm going to come and turn over the tables in your life. And it's going to look like hysteria, and it's going to look like confusion, and it's 100% holy. And the thing that we have to wrestle with in life is so often we let the point at the enemy, the devil, so the devil is doing this. And I say, well, it may just be Jesus, Right? And I say to you, maybe Jesus coming in and turning over the tables because he loves you so much because he's not okay with pollution in your life. She's coming and turning over the tables and say, well, Steve, what do I do with that? You're saying, God, this seemingly is mean. I say, no, you need to sit down with Jesus. What we're talking about saying, you have such an authentic relationship with him. You sit down and say, Jesus, I have the ability to hear your voice and to communicate with you. What is the source of what's going on? Is the enemy stirring something in my life or is it you coming in and turning over the tables in my life and creating a dynamic holy tension that creates birth. Do you know that in life, we've talked about this a hundred times at Vintage, you can't have growth without tension of some sort. Just think about junior high. Am I right? Tension, difficulty, ugh, to growth and maturity. Everything in life. Think about childbirth. Ladies are like, no, Right? Tension creates this birth of something new. So God, out of his love for us, out of his zeal, his single-minded devotion, not allowing anything else to come into taint and pollute us, comes in, out of his love for us and turns over the tables. And something that feels like confusion and hysteria in the moment is actually just the reordering of something that's out of order because of his love for us. And, you, and I say to you, how do I figure that out, Steve? Will you sit down, have a conversation with him? Because he wants to speak to us what's going on. And so with that, what I want to say, kind of next step is this. If he really is that zealous and that passionate and that single-minded in his devotion to him, in his relationship to us, then what I want to say is this. He is someone we can place all of our confidence in. That if he is that zealous, if he is that passionate, that he is a, his relationship is one in which we can have confidence in. All of us understand instinctively what it means to have confidence in another person, don't we, right? You can sit down and think, if I have confidence in this person, then I think of them this way, right? Birth out of the knowledge. And so what happens is this, this confidence birth out of the, our knowledge of a person's loyalty to us. The idea this person, they have our back, right? That they will defend us no matter what happens at all costs. They will keep our secrets and that they will love us when we are unlovable, when we have troubles in life, we know that these are the ones that automatically we can turn to. We need someone to fight for us. We trust they will stand up for us on our behalf, even if they know the odds are stacked against us. These people produce peace in us, don't they? Because of their commitment to us, knowing that no matter what happens, they will never turn away 
from us. I'll just say this very quickly to you. There are lots of things in my life that my wife knows about me that you never will. Right? There are lots of things. I sit down with her in utter confidence, knowing that she is loyal to me, even when I'm unlovable like I was yesterday. Right? Yesterday, I was the yes. You guys can amen. I was a jerk yesterday. I was not a good husband yesterday, right? This morning, I had to wake up and apologize. She's like, do you really mean it? Like, I really mean it, right? It's like, give me a kiss. She's like, I'm not sure I'm ready to yet, right? But it's one of those moments. But in that moment, there's this loyalty. Seriously, true story, right? She goes, amen again, right? But there's a whole thing, right? There's a loyalty in that moment. I'm not going, oh, my gosh. Well, she doesn't love me anymore. I've got a terrible, ah, right? No. There's a loyalty. There's a confidence that even when I'm a jerk, She's still going to love me. That I can share my deepest. Listen, there are things that nobody else in the world knows except her. I'll never tell you. Because she's loyal in our relationship. There's a confidence there, and I can lean into her. I feel so sorry for those married couples that, that they just don't know the loyal. They don't think that their, their spouse is loyal. And they live in tension and fear every day that they're going to be left behind. And I never live in that place, Ever. Because there's this confidence, this loyalty that Randall has in our relationship and that she feels the same thing towards me, as I hope, right? Do you feel the same way, babe? There you go. Amen. I'm going to make sure, okay? And so in that, there's this loyalty and confidence. What I want to say, this thing I'm going to kind of defend this morning, is that in our life, Jesus becomes that person of confidence that we have. We have confidence in him, in our lives, no matter what happens, we can lean into him, that we know he's loyal. Why? Because he's so zealous and single-minded in his devotion to us. And I don't know about you, but there's something that produces peace in me when I know there's a person that is loyal and that I can have to me and can have confidence in. And what if that person is the living God? that I'm in relationship with, not when I'm awake, but even when I'm asleep, that I have an eternal relationship with. My prayer is simple this morning, that God would awaken in us this understanding of confidence. Because when it's birthed inside of us, in this way we're going to talk about it this morning, it changes everything in the way that we live. Okay? So with that, let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 10. We're going to look at the... 1 through 31, but I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to just kind of give you an overview of the first 15 verses. So just kind of put your finger there. I'll come back to it in a second. So the whole of this chapter speaks very simply to the disciples, the disciples. And it speaks about their call from Jesus to be disciples who make disciples. That's the whole idea, right? The whole chapter deals with Jesus' call to them to be disciples who were making other disciples. And in the first 15 verses, man, the first 15 verses are some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Jesus comes down the very first verse. You can just look at that, look at it, and he, if you have your Bible there, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase a little bit here, but basically it says this. He says, I've given you authority. I'm giving you my authority to drive out demons and to heal every disease and sickness, right? It's a beautiful picture, right? Call this one disciples to, told him to gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and heal every disease and sickness. That's pretty cool, right? I don't know about you, like, that excites me. That excites me. It gets me Right, like, oh, this is awesome. Jesus is coming and giving me his name. I'm going on his behalf. I have his authority. I'm going and doing these things. This is amazing. 
And then he comes down a little bit later, I forget what verse it is, maybe 12, 13, he says, now here's the message, right? The message is simple. The kingdom of heaven is near. So he gives them authority. He then gives them a message, and he says, and here's what's going to happen. Here's what you're going to accomplish. You're going to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those that have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received from me. Now I want you to go freely give it away. It's a beautiful picture, right? He comes to us first. I'm giving you my authority. I'm giving you a message. And here's what you're going to accomplish. That is amazing. It's the first 15 verses of Matthew 10. And we're like, this is awesome, right? So the first thing I'm going to say about confidence in Jesus, it's confidence begins right here at least in their empowering, right? Confidence begins in our empowering. I want you to hear me say it very clearly. That's number one. Confidence begins in our empowering. And so if that's the case, then the disciples were sitting here in the moment and they're like, oh, they're following Jesus, doing their thing. And all of a sudden he says, here, as if he breathes on this, I want to give you my authority. Everything you've been seeing me do, I'm now giving you the power to do. And they went out and scripture tells us they went out, at least in Luke, it says they went out and they came back amazed. Jesus, even the demons submit to us in your name, right? They're just blown away. They're amazed. They're undone. Could you imagine if that's you? And Jesus says, here, here's my authority. You go do what I would do if I were there. It's powerful, right? And so confidence begins. Listen, that we've been empowered. The disciples were empowered. He gave them their authority. They were going in the name of Jesus. And so for us this morning, I want you to recognize that we are now, we have the family name. That's what it's all about. We've been given the family name. We're under his authority. We've been given his authority. So when we live our life, we're not living as a second-rate kind of follower, wishing we could do the things Jesus did. No, we're walking in this heir and co-heir of Christ type reality. What I want you to say this morning is this confidence in the work of Jesus as he's brought us into the place of family with him, and we now have that authority, and we're walking empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that should make us ask a lot of questions of, well, then why isn't this happening? Right? It really should. And I would say, in your relationship with Jesus, you should really go process this, because I think this right here should be a present-day reality of what our discipleship looks like, people that we're ministering to. I'm just saying. Number two, here we go. Number two is confidence is birthed out of honesty. How many of you recognize you can't have confidence in someone unless you know that they're being honest with you, right? Honesty is a is a linchpin to confidence in relationship. And so what we see here in verse 16 all the way to the end really is Jesus being brutally honest with his disciples. If you have your Bibles, your archive, you turn there, let me turn there, Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 16. The words are really little in this Bible, so forgive me if I skip over something. Here we go. Take, it says, uh, here we go, am I Matthew 10? Yes, yeah, Matthew 10, sorry, what is the verse did I say? 16. Hold on a second. I need really glasses. Here we go. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. I'm read that again. I'm sending you out like he's done this whole thing. Preparation. Here's the message. Here's what's going to happen. But I want you to recognize I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be wise, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. 
Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to local councils. They will flog you in their synagogues, flogs in their beautiful way of saying, Beat on my account. You'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth. You will not finish going to the cities of Israel before the Son of Man returns. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Fantastic. So Jesus comes down here and he says, listen, he shifts gears and says, I want you to know that I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound very nice, right? doesn't sound very nice. I'm going to so send you out like sheep. All, all of us recognize what sheep are, right? Sheep are so considered, at least biblically speaking, they're considered pure. They're considered clean. They're considered innocent. That's why they are used for the sacrifices, right? They are considered as pure. They're considered as clean. They're considered as innocent. But the wolves, what are wolves? Wolves are dangerous, right? They are not innocent. They are a threat, and they are ready to kill, Ready to pounce, especially on the sheep, right? And so Jesus comes to the moment and says, here's my, here's my love for you. I'm going to send you up, but I want you to recognize. I want to be honest with you. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. And then he goes on and describes, what is that exactly going to look like? Well, be handed over to councils, be flogged and beaten in the synagogues. Be brought up on charges for governors and kings. Brothers are going to betray brothers to the point of death, and fathers betray children to the point of their death. Children rebel against parents. They'll be hated by everyone. They will be persecuted. He's saying, sheep, this is what's going to happen. You're like sheep with sheep among wolves. He's coming. These are the things that are going to happen to you. This is going to be overwhelming. It's going to be difficult. But as I was preparing this, I thought to myself, Biblically speaking in Revelation, it says, here comes the lion of Judah and outsteps a little lamb who represented Jesus. And what I recognized was this, that the expectation that Jesus had of sending us like sheep among wolves is the same expectation he and the Father had when he came to earth, that he was the sheep, the lamb sent among wolves, and he was brutally beaten and brutalized in life. And the idea is that Jesus is coming and saying, listen, I'm not going to let you as my followers stay in your little holy huddle, separated from the sinful people of war of the world, and put yourself in the holy bubble and just live in that place. I was sent by my Father to those who are in desperate need among the broken and the sin little people of this world, and I now am going to send you. And just as I suffered, and just as I was beaten, and Ulta was killed for my, my conviction, so too will you. 
See, we've been sold this bill of goods in Christian, Christian culture that God's desire is to make us healthy and wealthy and all of these things for the rest of our life and to make things all great and perfect. And his call to us saying, no, I've called you to die to yourself, be willing to die in giving your life away. I'm not going to, my, my goal is not to make you happy, but to give you sustaining deep joy because happiness is on the outside of what's going on around you of good things. Joy is when hell's breaking loose inside of you. There's still this inner contentment and peace because of the goodness of my spirit with you. And the fullness then of the gospel of Jesus is his coming and saying, listen, I've given you my authority. You're going in my name, but you are sheep among wolves. And they're going to try to kill, steal, and destroy you. Just like they did me. See, that's what you find in verse 24 and 25. It's simple. So the student cannot be above the master. Right? Student can't be above the master. The servant can't be above his owner or whatever it is. Right? This meaning the student, the life of the student, we are the students. We cannot live a different life than the master. His life was not safe. Our life can't be safe. We're not above him. No, we're called to follow in his footsteps. Listen, if you grew up with a gospel that said, a good, like a, a story of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, if you grew up with this gospel of Jesus being, hey, he wants you to come in. It's the cool thing to do to be a Christian. It's a lot of fun. He's going to just love you and everything is going to be great. He wants you to be happy. Then you were sold an Ill- illegitimate gospel because the gospel of Jesus is come and die. When Jesus bids a man come, he bids him to come and to die, spoken by Dietrich Bonhoeffer right before he was killed by the Nazis for his convictions of standing up for his faith for Jesus. That's why he wrote a book called The Cost, or at least it was written, The Cost of Discipleship. Why do you think in Scripture it says the road is narrow that leads to life? And very few find it. Because Jesus was brutally honest and said, if you're going to be my follower, you're going to suffer for my name. And if you don't suffer, and there's not some level of tension, then there's a good chance that you're maybe not my disciple. Because you have to follow in my footsteps. And it's not easy. And it's going to be difficult. And it's going to cost you your life because you are not above me. You're my disciple and you must follow my footsteps. And I love you too much in my zeal and my single-minded devotion to you to not be brutally honest with you in advance. Third thing. Everyone's real excited about that one. Number three, confidence. We have confidence in shared suffering. Listen, I don't know about you, but like when I'm going through a difficult time, I don't like being by myself. I like someone to be there with me, right? So like even those moments, like I'm really sick to my stomach and I'm like just hovering over the toilet, right? Having those moments. I really, I don't want real in there with me, but I want her like at least in like shouting distance in case I fall into the toilet, right? She can be there to save me. You know what I'm saying? Like I want her to be around. I don't like being alone in these moments of tension. I want someone there with me. I don't like being alone. So what Jesus says right here, is so verse 26 so do not be afraid of them them 
represents persecutors. Basically, just those situations, whether it's a, literally a spiritual enemy, a physical enemy, just literally situations of life that are coming. How many of you, there are situations of life that come against you, like, oh, this is so heavy, this is so overwhelming, right? And your first response is, I need to get away. I need to get away. And so often that's the most dangerous thing we can do because the idea of Jesus is getting us, so listen, he says, so, he says, so do not be afraid of them, who, people who are persecuting us, who are coming against us, those who, are, who, are, who hate us, and recognize, just as they came against me, and I was not afraid because Father was with me, so too now, when you follow my footsteps, difficulty, hardship, whatever it is, persecution comes in your life, you do not have to be afraid. Why? Because just as Father was with me, I am with you, and so too now Father is with you, and so is Holy Spirit. You are never alone. I want to tell you the greatest, listen, hear me on this, the greatest work of the enemy in your life is to isolate you when you're going through difficult circumstances. Because you're much easier to pick off when you're standing by yourself. And so what God, Jesus is saying, is like, you need to live in the confidence that I am with you. And I, listen, he's not just, like, I like people going with me, but I prefer people who can sympathize and empathize. They understand what I've gone through. He's saying, listen, I'm going through it with you. I've been there. I know what it's like. And I, you can have confidence that I'm with you and that you were not alone in the moment. He keeps on going on. Number four, I put down confidence, confidence in God's power, confidence in God's power. So in verse 28, Jesus comes and speaks. This is don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Listen, you all need to hear this. This is this is hard. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Let me give you like the simplistic like uh, um, um, kindergarten version of what Jesus is saying. He's basically saying this. I'm going to break. We're going to break this kind of break this down. He basically is saying, "My dad's bigger than your dad." That's what he's saying. My dad can beat up your dad. That's what he's saying. Listen, when I was growing up, I was very thankful that my dad was six foot four, 215 pounds, right? People would come into my yard, and they would be mean to me, and I would, my, my go-to every time was, my dad can beat up your dad, and they'd go, well, well, yeah, probably, right? Because my dad was so big, and I was like, this is awesome. I love him. They call him the Jolly Green Giant, right? He's just really big, and he's imposing, and sometimes he doesn't look real nice. It's like, makes it even better, right? He comes out and gives him the scowl, like, ah, oh, right? I just love that, because what, what I really meant was, I'm not sure I can beat you up, but I know my dad is bigger than you. My dad's bigger than your dad, so I'm going to stand behind him and let him fight for me. He's going to beat up your dad. He's going to beat up me, and it's going to be great. And that's what I meant as a kid, right? That's what I was talking about. That and we all, how many of you did that? Don't lie. I mean, seriously, nobody ever did that? Man, I'm the only, thank you. Right there. Right there, man. I feel it right there. And so this whole idea, and the idea is this, that there was a, a fear created in the moment. There was a fear of how grand and how big my dad was. And what I want to say is this, Proverbs 9, 10, and several other places in Scripture says this, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. What do I mean by that? Well, you have a revelation, an awakening to the 
grandness and the power and the beauty of God and how overwhelmingly huge that he is because everything else then will pale in comparison to what you've seen in him. So listen, growing up, I knew all about Niagara Falls, right? I'd seen it on television. I had read it and about it in books. I would studied. I knew it was big. I knew it was powerful. And I knew from my classes it created energy with the flow of water down to the waterfall, the turbines, right? I knew all sorts of things about Niagara Falls, okay? And so my, after I graduated my senior year of high school, I went on one of those, like, youth group tours like, back in the day. Remember those where you'd go and, like, sing in churches, right? Hail Jesus, you're my king. Everybody sing with me, right? We sit there and do these in these churches, right? And so we're here doing the moment, and, and the, great, the great end of our trip was to go through Buffalo. We went all the way from here up to New York and back down, right? So we came through Buffalo, and we went to Niagara Falls. I'll never forget, we were in, the, we're in like the van, you know, one of those vans. It's like this is the van, and, and you get out, and all of a sudden you can't hear the person next to you, right? Because it's the overwhelming nature of the waterfall. And I never forget, I'm like, man, that's just that's loud, right? And we're still a good distance from it. So I start walking to the side because there's like a railing where the sidewalk is along Niagara Falls. And I walk over to it. And all of a sudden I look over and my stomach turns, right? You're like, oh, that's so big. That is so massive. That is so deep, right? And in that moment, I have an awareness of my mortality, Right? Because I know if I fall into this, I'm going to die. And you continue to walk along the waterfall all the way up to the kind of where I think it's Lake Ontario that pours in. So you wake up, walk up to the lakeside, and literally you're standing, and here's the waterfall. And in this ear is not quite like you, you, this ear here's a little bit just the, the solid, this is the nature of the, 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 um, the lake coming in, right? Coming down into the waterfall. It's like it's, not, it's a little bit quieter. But this ear over here is this deafening roar because this side is the waterfall. And I remember being on the Maid of the Mist. You know, the boat that actually goes up into the Niagara Falls, right? And I'm sitting on the boat, and you're just, like, literally covered in one of those rain suits from head to toe. And, I'm, and we're going up into the waterfall. And I'm sitting there going, oh, Jesus, let the engine not die. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Because if we go into that waterfall, we're going to die. It's going to be overwhelming. It's going to literally hit the boat. It's going to crack into it. We're going to die right there in the Maid of the Mist. No, right? And, of course, I'm sitting there thinking, look, look at the waterfall going, what idiot thinks they can go over with a barrel over this and live? Seriously, right? Heard those guys that go over the barrel. Hey, let's go to the barrel. We're gonna, don't make it. They die. Crash. Boom. You die. Mortality and awakening. See, I listen. Here's the point. I went from a knowledge about Niagara Falls to an experiential revelation of wisdom. Wisdom was birthed from experience of my mortality being questioned in the moment. Because if I fell into it, I would die. All of a sudden, I went from a knowledge to a whole, like a, a fear and a reverence for the power and the magnitude of Niagara Falls. And Jesus comes in the moment here in verse 28 and says, Listen, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. Are you serious? Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He's saying, listen, you need to have an awakening moment of an, of an awareness of a, of a 
stomach-turning, immortality-type moment with God where you realize very clearly, yes, my dad is bigger than every dad in the world. And yes, my dad doesn't just beat your dad up. He beats death. He beats hell. He beats sickness. He beats all of these things. He is the overwhelming God. I've experienced him. There's a fear that's been birthed in me, a reverence, a holy, holy reverence. And, and listen, you're, yes, you can come up, body. Who really cares? Have a holy reference for the God over here who's my dad. And that means if he's my dad, he can beat you up. You better watch out. I live in the confidence of my father's power every day. Why? Because there's been an awakening to experiential wisdom because I understand a holy fear of how big he is compared to everything else. And my question to you is this. Have you ever experienced God in one of those ways? And I'm not saying to condemn you if you haven't, okay? Like, like one of those like fear-producing, like not just from a knowledge. Yeah, I know about God, too. I've experienced him in his fullness, and I understand who he is. And I fear him in a holy way because he is so great and he's so powerful. But then Jesus shifts not just from the confidence and power, but number five, confidence in knowing God and intimately moving in our lives. Number five, right? We have confidence. Why? Because he's intimately moving in our lives. Here's the thing. So Jesus does this. I love this. He does this like moment right here of like full disclosure. Like, listen, you need to, you need to fear him. But also recognize that in his zeal for you, he is passionately in love with you and invested in every part of your life. It says here in verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? See, what you have to recognize is a sparrow was the food of those who were living in abject poverty. No, like, majority of people never would have eaten sparrows, therefore never even given a second thought. Spare something for them. They, they just never crossed their minds. But Jesus says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny to give to the poor, right? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. Jesus speaking about the all-encompassing knowledge, the overarching power of God, of, of moving in our lives in every intricate detail. We call it sovereignty, which is ultimately God's ultimate lordship and control over all of our lives. He's invested in every area of our life. And he kind of goes to the next level. It's what we use to describe God's love in Sunday school. When he says this, he says, he loves us so much, so, loves so much he's even counted and knows all the hairs on your head. Do your parents ever say it to you? God loves you so much, he's even counted all the hairs on your head and knows them. Right? But Jesus is coming saying, this is how intimately he's involved. Listen, I don't know about you, but, not, but I love you. Most, like most of you. No, I love you, right? But I have no idea how many hairs are on top of your head. Right? And I doubt you even, the person you love most, I doubt you counted all the hairs on their head. Now, some people it's easier to count, let's be honest, right? But, but, but most of you haven't counted but what Jesus is getting at is saying, listen, you can have confidence in this zealous God. This, you can have confidence in us. Why? Because in all of these things, he's intimately and intricately in every detail connected and involved in your life in all of these areas. There's no big things and little things to God. He's involved in all of them with zeal and a single-minded devotion, therefore you can have confidence in him. 
And my question is simple. Do you have this type of confidence in Jesus? Are you confident in the empowering that he's brought to your life? Do you have confidence birthed out of the honesty? And have you embraced that honest message in your life? Is there confidence in you that Jesus is with you? There's a shared suffering that you're never alone. Do you live in the confidence of God's power that you never long to fear anything because you know how big he is? And do you have confidence in that he knows you? Do you live in the confidence of his intimate knowledge of you? That's God is moving. Zeal leading to this confidence which ultimately shapes your life as you live in this place of trusting him, believing him. When all hell breaks loose, when the tables are turned in your life, when persecution is coming, whatever it looks like, God is the one we can have confidence in. And I live in a place of peace and of joy and of rest because I have confidence in his zeal and his passion and his single-minded devotion for me. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. And Father, we recognize this message, Lord, is... It's, it's impossible to flesh out and to live out on our own strength. God, we can't all of a sudden today say, have confidence in you. No, God, this is something that we believe that you have to birth inside of us. It's a gift of your grace, this thing that you pour out because you love us. And so, Father, I, I come today and I pray for those, Lord, who maybe never had that moment of recognizing this holy fear, this, this place of reverence, this place of knowing you, and that stomach-turning moment of, of yes, I have wisdom because I've been birthed out of my fear of who God really is. God, forgive us for defining you in our own language, in our own image. You are higher than us. Awaken the truth of who you are in us. God, I pray today, Lord, those who, who are just living this place of, of separation, anxiety from you, God, separation, Lord, either they've never met you or separation because they're they're just apathetic and lazy. God, I pray for both of them that you would awaken truth this morning in their lives. Holy Spirit, I praise you and thank you that your job is to come to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and to remind us of everything that Jesus said. And we say, be released this morning to do this work. We pray this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.